Now it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. So on with our sponsors. Our first sponsor this week is Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter Creations, helping you create the holistic, natural lifestyle you want to live. And Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical, a free integrated health clinic, herbalism, and medicine together. And healthcare is a human right. All right. And from Hunter Creation, where they are, they do graphic design and website design to fit your needs, where their motto is, yes, they can do that. And finally, from thepracticalherbalist.com. And I had the website up here, but it disappeared. What's our tag? <laughs> here it is. Practical advice on herbs, herbalism, and the holistic lifestyle. <laughs> That's our sponsors for the, for this show. City herbalists often got to make do with tiny places, a balcony, shady backyards, the size of a postage stamp, and busy boulevards. With a bit of ingenuity and planning, urbanites can grow an amazing array of herbs and medicinal plants, even in small spaces. Today we're talking with Bonnie Rose Weaver, herbalist and author of Deeply Rooted, Medicinal Plant Cultivation in Tectropolis, and Mari Amend, editor of Deeply Rooted and all 1849 Medicine Garden publications about herbal gardening in the urban jungle. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome back, Bonnie and Mari. I'm so happy to see you here again today. Yes, welcome back. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're starting to look at our planning. We're planning for our gardens and getting excited. Yeah, and as you, you're... Uh, uh, CSA, an herbal CSA master gardener person, and you guys have this team going for the deeply rooted. You know everything there is to know about gardening, Especially both of you, or writing that. about gardening, or <laughs> writing about gardeners. And gardening. Just you're just the experts. So just go <laughs> Especially ahead. Especially with tiny places, and that's what tiny I'm excited spaces, about. Definitely. Especially like when I was in college, I had nothing. I had maybe a pod. You know, I mean that that was the best I could do. So how do you garden and plan for gardening as an herbalist in tiny spaces? Can you do it? (laughs) Certainly. One of my favorite things about urban farming and um, specifically herbal farming is that you get so much out of a small space because um, herbal medicine essentially isn't that quite as different from your food. You are just taking a lot less of it. So I think of all plants on a spectrum of you know, herb to medicine or medicine to food, you could eat a whole bowl of salad. You can't eat a whole bowl of valerian root. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Anybody <laughs> around well, I could. very angry. I could eat a whole bowl of that. But. <laughs> and something that falls right in the middle would be garlic. Yeah. Garlic, so you can sure. eat a, a good deal of it, but it isn't quite potent. More than mm-hmm. a head of garlic is probably too much. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then on the, the, Others, you know, the far spectrum is you have like a low-dose botanical or something. So, you know, so many plants can be used um, internally and as medicine or as food, but it just depends on the dosage. So important. And so I think that is kind of um, a metaphor for gardening, too, because you can have a big garden, you can have a small garden. It just depends on what it is that you are trying to grow and how much space you have. And that can really guide uh, a, a gardener at this time of year. Your lighting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if any. Yeah. Sometimes if people any. in the city, they don't have any. Yeah. Yeah, you have too many shady buildings. Yeah. Buildings shading your space. Yeah. You managed to pull off a garden that not only, you know, took care of you and yours, but also you did a CSA with it. 
And it was on a 16th of an acre, which I find astounding because to me that is, I grew up in the Midwest where a quarter of an acre is kind of a normal size space. Like when I was growing up, that was what your yard was. Mm -hmm. And my yard was one of the bigger ones. We boasted we had almost a half an acre. It was great. But, you know, nowadays out here in Oregon, I mean, quarter of an acre is a giant yard. I'm seeing more like an 11th and I mean, in a 16th, that seems so tiny. But for San Francisco, that's not tiny. It's a big backyard in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think folks are lucky if they have any green space at all. I know that there's some city ordinances about having some sort of space, but oftentimes it's just concrete. What? Right. Wait, there's ordinances about having? Uh, kind of like an outdoor space if you have a apartment building. Or you're required to have some kind of space. Yeah, I, I under, that's my understanding. Oh, and okay. then they put in a basketball court. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. you know, nothing <laughs> green, nothing to take care of, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it is green, it's just grass. Yeah. Do you guys have a lot of grass? Grass. <laughs> yeah. again, grass farmers of America, do not start writing in to tell us that we're dissing grass. <laughs> we're this dissing, is an herbal yeah, show. It's okay? one of the big crops in Oregon. I'm but dissing grass. Oh, <laughs> here comes the hate mail. Good on grass. We actually, I feel like grass is pretty uncommon. I think nice. they take water usage pretty seriously. There's a lot of succulents. Grass uses a That's lot true. of water. Yeah, yeah. xenoscaping. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of front yards that are pretty untended, that are small, small, small. But wow. I'd say when I was really kind of a baby farmer before I really got mm-hmm. my hands in the soil, one of my favorite books was Food Not Lawns. Oh, yes, yeah, that is an inspiring, yeah. inspiring book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so I think that must have been an influence on me and just my experience and kind of the vision that I hold and. There's certainly um, a lot you can do in this city. I think just starting with one pot or, you know, with an apartment or something. um, There's the idea of a spirit plant. And so you can have, you can grow a plant, which I encourage uh, to grow a plant that you use as medicine. I I think that there's a really strong, uh, there's a powerful kind of symbolism that you can have. It goes beyond symbolism and turns into medicine when you really know the plant that you use as medicine. And so, for example, like if you use mullen, then having mullen in your yard or if you only have a pot, then, you know, maybe growing uh, echinacea or a campaign or, you know, something that I honestly don't have a ton of experience with potted plants. But, you know, if you could get a little mint patch growing and you can use that or you started a little Tulsi patch and, um, you know, something that rhizomes like mint, um, can be really great because you can continue to harvest them. Um, Mm -hmm. having plants near your kitchen or near your entryway that you see and you can utilize is really helpful to get going. I think, um, knowing how to nurture a plant and kind of witnessing a plant through the seasons is really helpful in terms of seasonal health and energies and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, if your plant is suffering, it might be because you're suffering a bit and you don't have the energy to give to it. Um, what was your first spirit plant? Oh gosh. What are, now can you back up a little bit? <laughs> what, tell me exactly what a spirit plant is. Okay. So a spirit plant would be most likely a plant that you're growing in a pot because you don't have space to grow it outside and you're not really growing it for medicine, but you're growing it because you want to know the plant and you want to like your pet. 
Or yes. you grow on a little green friend or something or whatever. Your yeah. buddy. It's your, your buddy. buddy. It's, it's your buddy. Yeah, it's your herbal buddy. And like I said, if you're somebody that's using that plant as medicine, then you can get to know it and the nature of it. And that is really meaningful. Like uh, I've noticed folks in the city or people who are herbalists, true herbalists that have studied herbalism but haven't known the plants, haven't met the plants in, in person – they get a lot out of that. And the, you know, you see the growing habits of mother wart or you, mm-hmm. you know, you see just when does, you know, when does the hawthorn tree make berries? Is mm-hmm. That might be right. something that you just don't know if you're getting all of your herbs like in bulk or from the herb shop and you've never been a farmer or gardener. Right. Yeah. I finally got a hold of some skull cap and got that started. And it was for me, a wonderful connection because I've relied on Skullcap for years to help my mind quiet down at certain points of the month. Let's not go into that. Sure. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, and that, that it was beautiful to see it flower. That's one of the pieces I've never actually seen. Exactly. Like the flower, the, the, I call it the field essence when you really see it in real life, like the flower and you, you kind of take in its energy and you say, whoa, that really, that flower's affecting me. And I know that flower and you can kind of call it in to your mind, um, as a memory or as a, as a meaningful kind of peaceful place, which is I think what the medicine garden was for a lot of people and which is what a spirit plant can be for people. You know, you don't necessarily say you're growing valerian in a pot. Well, you, you're not going to dig it up and make like one cup of tea or something. <laughs> no. It's it's more about knowing the plant and seeing it through the transitions as an ally and as a friend, um, as an indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some valerian growing in a fairly sizable pot that uh, is right outside my back door. It's, uh, oh gosh, I think it's probably a 20-gallon pot. That's got some, and they just every summer, you know, how tall those flowers are, you know, they're almost as tall as, as tall as me. They're a good five and a half feet tall, at least. Um, and I, I just get wow. right eye level as I walk in and they're all beautiful smelling, although the root doesn't smell awesome. <laughs> I love nice, that root. Yeah. And yeah. you know, if I put it out <laughs> in the yard. Really yeah, yeah, exactly. See February. I'm glad yeah. that you and Candace have something in common. Yeah. <laughs> the flower smells nice just Mm -hmm. to everyone i think everyone would agree it smells nice but it's uh not something i would have thought to put into a pot and now i have all these other weird little things in pots like spilanthes toothache plant is my new potted plant that's a great potted plant i've never grown it as a potted plant it's always just been like you know some weedy thing that you grow outside and it's great medicine Great medicine. We use it in the clinic all the time. But yeah. so you've grown it as a potted plant. I, I have grown it in the ground, but I, I I just know that it would be a good potted plant. Yes, because it's it's really simple and it's adorable. It's cute. It, I, I just love <laughs> kind of like tricking people into <laughs> 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 truth comes out. Oh, a little go. bit of an like, I, I can just tell by its growing habits that it would be good in a pot. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So far, so good. Yeah, uh, lemon verbena in a pl- in a pot. Yeah, it's brand new for me. I know most people just have it as a, like a little garden shrub. So I got uh, a really u- ugly, dried, basically a branch in a pot from a garden shop uh, for a nickel or something, yeah, like twenty five cents or whatever. And and it, that's my new little potted plant. So I'm going to bring that in and 
Yeah, it's your new problem child, <laughs> little yes! baby. Yes, exactly. That's Special good. needs plant. Yes. I mean, that's another thing about about growing plants is the, the nurturing aspect. And sometimes, you know, learning and, and practicing nurturing something is, is the medicine of, of nurturing yourself and being able to help that plant thrive and seeing it through that cycle, you know, and then asking for some of that bounty and, and using that to, to treat yourself. I think seeing something thrive, like really do well, mm-hmm. um, is, is a great, it's just great energy. It's a great feeling. It's really, I think what we're aiming for as, as gardeners and as city folks, because there's certainly a lot of plants in the city that aren't thriving, little trees that are mm-hmm. dwarfed or, you know, something that's just struggling to get by. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the plants that do the best, which are actually the 20 that I feature in the book, they're the plants that just made so much medicine I didn't know what to do with. Oh, and nice. so that they were the ones that kind of grew themselves. And a lot of times in Western herbalism, those can be what a lot of folks call weeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love yeah. the weeds. Yeah. I love the weeds. But there's so much um, meaning. And um, I always think of the doctrine of signatures as to, you know, what that means that these plants are thriving in the city. Mm-hmm. They're just growing and growing. They have so much energy and they know how to make do. Mm-hmm. And and um, that, you know, the idea that stress is actually a beneficial aspect to growing medicine. So growing something with the uh, less resources, you know, less water, less space, not always weeding it so thoroughly um, increases the phytochemicals that are present in a plant and ultimately makes stronger medicine. And so I talk a lot about that in the book. And that's one of the kind of main tenets that I believe of of urban herbalism is that we're growing plants in the place that we are. And so they know how to adapt to those kind of similar stressors and that it's totally okay that I d- conditions aren't ideal. Right. So let's back up again. So I think not all of our listeners are aware of what the doctrine of signatures is. Oh yeah. <laughs> doctrine of signatures is, um, it's a really old idea. I forget which philosopher. From the eclectics. Even farther. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was like Pliny or someone. One of those like. Pliny. Yeah. One of those really, really old guys. Old school guys <laughs> on the playground all the time for his name. <laughs> Poor dear. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Greek. Pliny the Elder. Or, yeah. Who knows? I'm sure it's one of those things that was present on all. I did. <laughs> all places on the earth because it's just so prevalent. But the doctrine of signatures is essentially that. A plant treats what it looks like. Um, And a a really good example is the walnut looks like a brain. And if you look at it kind of in a chemical way or more scientific way, walnuts have omega-3s, which feed the brain. So it's – and you don't always need a scientific explanation for the doctrine of signatures. It's just that, um, you know, there's a similarity it's a good way also for helping remember what herbs various different plants do is starting to think about like how they map to body parts. Definitely. <laughs> you know, you right. gotta... So even if you don't abide by the idea that plants echo our body parts, then just re- this is what it looks like so I can remember yeah. what it's for. So two two taste treats in one. How's that? Yeah. Doctrine of <laughs> signatures. Right. So I one think, of the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just wanted to re- – so – one of the questions that Bonnie raises in Deeply Rooted, I find really powerful, is the question of what is the medicine of plants and people that grow together? And so 
um, like we've said, you know, it can be in a tiny pot in your room. It can be in a small patch in your backyard, but there's something really powerful about either just growing and tending or being able to grow enough to kind of harvest a little bit of it. Um, because like Ronnie just said, it's, it's experiencing the same stressors that you do. It's experiencing the same air quality. It's experiencing the same tiny space. And I think there's something really powerful in that kind of, whether it's scientific or not, but what that thought process, that, that kind of spirit medicine of plants and people being in the same space and, and being able to kind of create your own access to nature is really powerful in a city atmosphere. Yeah, I've, I've often found that if someone's not well, you start looking at where they're living. What are the plants, especially the weeds that are growing mm-hmm. around them? Because that gives you a lot of clues as to what it is that's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, one person might have wild lettuce growing like crazy in their their yard, but their neighbor doesn't. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> you know, that's a big one. You know, ooh, that that tells you something. Now, if everybody's got dandelions, either the whole block really needs some work <laughs> on their liver, perhaps needs to drink a little less alcohol. I don't know. More potassium. More potassium. But when it's when you start seeing the plants that are individuals, that seems like that gives you a lot of clues. Yeah, and I think too with city folks, you know, we don't get out as much, or even when we do get out, is in a city park or something, and so. If someone's looking to deepen their connection to the earth and to plants, it could be just tending a street tree, you know, yeah. and seeing, noticing what, what grows near you, uh, maybe finding a tree and kind of witnessing it through the year, through the seasons. And the seasons tell us so much about ourselves. It's so easy to kind of like check into where you were a year ago when you see the trees losing its leaves. Mm-hmm. And and we don't, urban herbalists or urban dwellers don't get to wildcraft. And so right. a big part of wildcrafting is is witnessing and tending the stock when even when you're not harvesting it. And so being able to go on a walk and even if it's someone else's yard and just noticing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing where the plants are at, checking in with yourself and kind of allowing that development to happen within your spirit and yourself. Yeah, and you can probably like, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm like, oh, if you're tending, for instance, a tree of whatever kind, <laughs> you know, like an elm tree or something like that. That's on, you know, just a city tree. You could make small offerings like, mm-hmm. you know, half the coffee you have left Pour that, you know, hopefully without the milk and all of that, but give the, <laughs> give the tree some coffee, some straight up coffee. When you buy your own coffee, get an extra little cup for the tree because <laughs> it's actually helpful. Unless you're really into sulfuric acid, you shouldn't share that. Well, just saying, yeah. I'm just saying that you oh, so. don't drink it either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it seems like it's also affected you too. Yeah. Your, like it's the spirit medicine thing that she was talking about. You kind of, yeah, I think the garden that Bonnie helped us grow in the backyard at my former house was really exciting to like the, the fact that for a whole summer I was able to feed myself from this, like, I don't know, five by 20 foot, this tiny little patch I had salad from that every day and like with flowers and kale and tomatoes and that was really it was really special and I I never prioritized that because I'm not really like I have a hard time I'm not as grounded as I'm a much more like an idea person so she's an Aquarius yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) no earth so it's it's been that was really special and I think yeah, both working with Bonnie and living with the woman that I did who was really gung-ho about that, growing nice. that, tending that, it was pretty inspiring to kind of just get my hands dirty once in a while. So, we'll- The Practical Herbalist Press, that's in addition 
to our website and our podcast. That is right. Practical Herbalist Press is all about providing really good books and information by written by experienced herbalists. Us. Us. But others eventually as <laughs> yes, well. That's very true. And it's bite-sized information that we research the heck out of. We have medical information out there that we're really doing a lot of research on. We are we have growing gardening with herbs. We got stuff for about pets, your yes. home, your family. Ethnobotany. Ethnobotany. Mm-hmm. We also put it in terms of the traditional ways we've talked about historic, herbs. Historic. Like yeah. Historic. Mm-hmm. Whether they're warm and cooling, that right. sort of thing. Mythical and very practical stuff. The Practical Herbalist Press is dedicated to providing the best herbal-related books on the market. Look for our titles on Amazon, search for The Practical Herbalist Press, or visit our website at practicalherbalistpress.com. Pretty inspiring to kind of just get my hands dirty once in a while. So what was your favorite plant out of that garden? Like the one that you felt connected to the most? Um, I think it's a great question. I really liked the, I guess calendula was really fun. Mm Um, because it, I've, I mean, I've seen it a lot, but didn't know that it was like an edible flower (laughs) and that it has kind of its own spice. And And it's a wonderfully durable flower. Mm -hmm. I love that. It just pops up and then really, really flourishes. And doesn't need a lot of tending. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's why it grows in my yard. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Bonnie? I I'm coming back to you. I am going to get a spirit plant out of you. (laughs) (laughs) What was when you started off when you were younger, when you first started on your herbalist journey, there was a grouping of herbs that helped you get through not having to have asthma anymore or not help, help cure your asthma. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but yeah. um, are that from that grouping, did you then start to grow some of those when you began the 1849 medicine garden? Yeah, definitely. And before that too, I was just so eager trying to, when I moved back to San Francisco, trying to start my own nettle patch because they're not as They're hard. They're hard to SF. grow. Yeah. Where um, you don't want them. Yeah, I know. To that's grow. hard to believe as an Oregonian, I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started to try to grow nettles. I started uh, echinacea. I really have a lot of um, uh, solidarity with El Campaign. Mm-hmm. I love that plant. What about fennel? I feel like the happiest I've seen you was in like a wild patch of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oh, yeah, there's there is an abundance in in San Francisco fennel. So yeah, because one person brought in a plant, yeah. one person, and yeah. then boom, everybody's got it. You can't get rid of it once fennel's moved mm-hmm. into the neighborhood. It's We're there. happy to send some with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think learning to to use what what you've got when when the first few tinctures I was making when I moved back to the city was the weeds at the farm I was working at. And so we would be, you know, growing chard and then weeding out the dandelion. And I'd say, can I take this home? And they'd say, oh yeah, please. (laughs) I made dandelion tincture. I made, uh, I think I made plantain tincture, which was really helpful for a bout of poison oak I kept getting and, (laughs) um, you know, yarrow and all sorts of stuff that just grew there and really, you know, just nice. accepting what grows near you. And I've heard so many stories about people who say, oh, then I had a lung condition and I noticed this weird plant in my yard and it was mulling and yeah. just the plant's <laughs> coming to that. And yeah. It's just it's beautiful synchronicity. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So one of my hardest challenges at this time of year is to figure out which of the many, 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 many seeds and other 
perennials I could be growing, I'm actually going to put in my space. And when you've got a tiny space, you really have to be very picky. How do you suggest people go about doing that? Sure. I always say uh, at the medicine garden, all the plants have to pay rent. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to pay rent. The plants have to pay rent. So, um, I mean, when I'm growing, it's certainly more on a commercial focus. Um, But I... And so plants that are easier to sell as medicine or have a multi-use as medicine. So, for example, like my friends that grow for food, like cilantro is a really helpful plant just because Mm -hmm. you can harvest it when it's younger and when it's kind of middle-aged and then when it's mature and you can use the flowers and stuff like that. So um, stacking functions, so like lavender i couldn't ne- probably never have too much lavender or you know yeah. <laughs> something like that but um i'd say on a personal level on a personal note depending on how much space you have looking into what you use i think that's ultimately and i i'd recommend that as a as a food far, uh, gardener or farmer too is like you know if you know that you use rosemary or you know that you eat salad, grow that because you're interested in having something that you already know you like. You're not reaching out. And so if you use a plant, like when I was um, starting to to grow my herbs, I certainly went to the lung herbs first because I was an asthmatic and, um, you know, a plant that you, that you use that you don't know yet or like to know better. I think that's a, a, a great place to start. Uh, flower essences is another good one. People just, that's a good basic tincture to start making. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just have a beautiful flower, you want to grow it in a lovely little pot, you can easily make some flower essences from that. Yeah. How do you figure out what each flower essence, like what a given flower will do? Sure. Um, I get a lot of my essences from the field. So when I'm working with the plants, I am weeding them or harvesting them. And I try to kind of drop in and see what I'm picking up um, Mm -hmm. with that plant. And that has certainly affected a lot of my um, understanding of the plants. I um, I'd like to say I'm book taught and plant taught because <laughs> the plants have taught me so much from growing them, either through the doctrine of signatures or through, through farming them. And, um, yeah, you know, journaling and, and really just kind of listening to the plants. And, um, I've also started to kind of try to figure out the essences of places and, um, in San Francisco that can be kind of unique because so much is, mm. is urban and, and busy and built upon, but then there are those few kind of open wild spaces that we have. And I'm, I'm oh. trying to listen to those plants too, to see what comes up there and the plants that want to thrive in those last little bits of wildness. Nice. So you started off with one garden that was kind of in one spot. And then about a year ago, year and a half ago-ish, you got noticed that you were going to have to move, and you did. And that led you to writing the book in part. And now you're continuing to be a gardener, but you're doing it in multiple places. How do you work something? I mean, how do you coordinate something like that? Yeah, it's certainly on the gardening is on the back burner for sure right now. And the medicine I've made this year has been through friends' gardens with patches that are quite 
um, abundant, <laughs> you know, lemon balm that just kind of grows itself or yeah. California poppy that nobody's sown. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm really curious about good models and it's something I'm, I'm, I'm looking into. Another aspect of urban farming that is actually quite important to mention is safety. Um, you know, not growing near roads and also testing the soil before you get started. That's another, you know, bonus to growing in a pot, having a smaller garden is, you know, it's pretty safe. Um, unfortunately due to lead and arsenic, a lot of the soil in the city is quite polluted. And I write that about that in the book a bit. Um, and it's also a future project that I want to work on learning about bioremediation and my friends at radical mm-hmm. mycology with remediation. Yes. 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 Yep. Um, I'm really interested in, you know, the, the health of the soil is ultimately the health of us and our communities. And so um, I am looking into developing kind of like a more sustainable or stronger model for medicine farming in the city. And I'm, I'm certain that that will involve bioremediation and, um, creating resources that are easily accessible for urban folks to remediate their yards and start growing food and medicine. Is that something that comes up a lot? People ask about, that's one of the things I was wondering about getting, getting vegetables from the soil from my house when I first moved in, knowing it was built at the turn of the century. And uh, there's no doubt there's lead in the paint underneath the fresh layer of paint that we had there. It's got to be in the soil. I was not interested in planting anything that I was going to be eating near the house. And I wasn't even sure since there was a landscaping company okay. that landscaped it before we moved into it, that it was even safe to plant anything edible the first year that we were there. Yeah. Uh, lead paint was used until 1976. And so it's certainly yeah. a big issue, especially in a city that has so much history like San Francisco um, you know, unfortunately or surprisingly, not so many people ask me about the safety of the soil, I think, because we don't really don't think, about, think it. about it and know about it. And it's kind of a reframing or remembering that we have to do with our land. But uh, when I started looking into new sites, I kind of put a call out. The way that my garden was hosted before was it was a work trade agreement for land um, use and basically free landscaping for land use. Right. And so I'm interested in doing that again. And I think that is an interesting model and an interesting way to kind of create community. Um, And I was given a couple offers. And when I tested the soil, I found higher lead levels than I was comfortable with. Um, I also feel like I personally need to do more research on what is acceptable lead levels and what that means. If there's lead in the soil, what parts of the plants may or may not be harvested. Ultimately, I, I'm at a point where I don't feel comfortable with any lead level <laughs> right. right now um, or harvesting any plant from a garden that has a lead, detectable lead. So um, that's something to work on. Yeah. Would it, would doing like raised beds be a potential where you're bringing in soil that you know is lead free for your raised bed? Might that be a, at least if you've got tall enough raised beds? Definitely. Yeah, I think it is. And I've also been a little resistant to that just because it takes more investment um, and not having, you know, unless you somehow know that you're going to have that use of that land for a long time, it can be cost prohibitive to build raised beds. Um, I I also just really like tending the earth and really like growing in the ground. 
There's a quote by Rudolf Steiner that I really like that says, uh, plants connect the cosmos and the earth. That's beautiful. And so I, I know that raised beds are, you know, in a way connected to the ground, but you know, there's just that, that big Gaia force that comes up when you're just digging your shovel into the earth. And it's um, something that I feel is important to the work. Nice. So has this um, project brought you more connected to the community? Deeply I mean, rooted the, project? Yeah. The, sorry. Yeah. This, this, that the She's audience cannot a beautiful see. Book. Yes. Uh, <laughs> deeply rooted project in the book itself. Would you, both of you say that it's changed the way you view your neighborhood? I think so. Yeah. I would say, I think from when we first started the project to now, it's evolved a ton. Like I think um, right after the book was published, Bonnie and I were asked to write a guest post that didn't end up getting published, but helped us kind of process through a bunch of ideas more about herbalism as activism um, and herbalism as a practice that's not, that is about the plants and about the earth, but it's also about that access to herbal medicine component. Um, and I think that going forward, that's, that's a huge goal of ours is, is really the, the access, um, helping, helping provide that access to people who don't Yeah. You in particular bring a lot in terms of reaching out to people and being like getting the word out and teaching, don't you, Mm -hmm. to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love connecting with people and I think I come to herbalism in a different way Mm -hmm. Um, uh, as far as just being a normal person who occasionally takes herbs. And <laughs> so you're not sitting around reading the seed catalogs this month, are you? No, no. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I probably should be, but <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think my personal belief is that we all should learn to grow our own food and medicine because I think the apocalypse is nigh, but that's my <laughs> conspiracy yeah. theories. Um, and I'm, an I'm a little behind long. on that. You never project. know when zombies will arrive. Yeah, I mean, you honestly, be ready. you have to be ready. Important. Um, but I'm down with that. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's really good to be kind of meeting people where they're at and, and figuring out what they need and what they're interested in and opening those doors for people. So what do you guys see next for Deeply Rooted as well as for the 1849 Medicine Garden? I mean, I really uh, enjoy the partnership I have with Maury because she is what herbalism or what many herbalists are not, which is a people person. (laughs) She's a storyteller and an oral historian. And so she's really helped me share my story and communicate it and um, I think that's an important part of creating access to medicine and to herbalism. Um, like she was mentioning, this idea that herbalism is inherently activism is an important part of the work that we have to do and a really big part of the social healing that we have to do. And so our book tour has been about talking to people, connecting them to their place, connecting them to who they are and their ancestry and to the history of the soil where they live. I mean, I think a lot, sorry to interrupt you, Bonnie, but I think a lot of people don't remember that this land used to be inhabited and still is, but by indigenous people that we, a lot of, that we're kind of guests on this land. And Mm -hmm. yes, we've been, you know, we, we didn't cause that and it wasn't my choice. I was born here, but I think that the history of the soil is really like, not only because there might be lead in it, because if you don't know the history, you know, there's so many components of why knowing 
where you live and what it means to be where you are is super, super important. Well, I think I want to become indigenous, but I can't do that unless I'm really connected to the land. That's the only way to be indigenous to any land. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, no matter where humans are, if you go back far enough, we're guests. Sure. I mean, you know, so, but you can't be living in a city and not, you know, ever touching anything but concrete and think that you'll ever be indigenous. Can you? Well, we're all indigenous to some place. And I think that there's a lot of relearning and remembering to do around that. And so deepening that connection to the earth, um, connection to your history and the history of the earth Mm -hmm. and the violence there and, and trying to kind of heal that social disharmony is a is a big kind of again like spirit or energetic medicine that we really need we do and it's not something that you know a salve or a band-aid is going (laughs) to fix Mm -hmm. right yeah i think what with the business being named 1849 we've talked about this before but i think um what i see in in 2016 in san francisco is that because we don't because we have not confronted our colonial legacy, it happens again. And so I, okay. I see gentrification and the driving out of, of um, people from their homes as kind of a repeat of what happened in 1849. And, yeah. and that that history will continue to cycle until we kind of do change the cycle. Towards, yeah. yeah or change healing, it. Um, and, and a putting of people before profit. And I think herbalism is a place where that's, possible i think so i mean we all know that it's not the most profitable industry and i think but i think that that's i mean i think that's important i think that healing shouldn't healing um, comes first yeah exactly yeah. so yeah so our question of what's the healing of this time and this place is that we're urban and modern herbalist or you know the modern herbalist is dealing with this whole different context than our ancestors thousands of years ago and so what's the medicine that needs to be brought now Good things to think about. Thank you both for being here. Yes. Thank you so much. We'll be excited to see about, see, watch, watch what's happening, what you guys are doing next. Mm -hmm. I assume we'll be able to see some of that on the website. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 1849medicinegarden.com. And you can find a link to their deeply written book. That's where you sell it. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful little book. I'm holding it in my hand for those that don't have x-ray vision through the the podcast (laughs) waves. (laughs) So uh, the other things that you have going is people can connect with you on Facebook and on Instagram. And that's that handle is at 1849 spelled out E-I-G-H-T-E-E-N-F-O-U-R-N-I-N-E. Forgot the Y. Yeah, 1849. She's the editor. That's good. Well, if you want more information on with the links that we have, check out our show notes. We have a bunch of the resources that we mentioned here on realherbalismradio.com. And make sure you sign up for our our free newsletter, which includes the links to the recipes and how-tos and our eBooks that we at The Practical Herbalist have written, as well as detailed information on the topics that we discussed on this podcast as we publish them on realherbalismradio.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Pinterest, and join our conversations on Twitter. And don't forget to post pictures of your latest herbal escapades to the Instagram hashtag, The Practical Herbalist.
Including, hopefully, some of your deeply, deeply rooted experiences. Yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Please do. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you both. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.